2: history humans have sat around crackling fires under the moonlight although now perhaps in sleeping bags with torches and told each other stories about ghosts spirits fairies and strange creatures lurking in the dark a lot of these will have passed from person to person Who, after all, hasn't heard the one about the doll that comes alive at night? Or been told not to say Bloody Mary three times in front of the mirror? Occasionally, though, there's also stories from friends or colleagues who have experienced something spooky themselves. Pictures falling off the walls, bumps and creaks on the stairs, presence, standing just to the left of their shoulder, getting closer,
0: and closer.
2: Anecdotally, at least, during the past few years of the pandemic, lots of us have been enjoying ghost stories and have even had paranormal experiences ourselves. Me included. Why do we love tales about the supernatural so much? And what does it say about the world around us and how we cope with it? From The Guardian, I'm Madeline Finlay and this is a spooky Science Weekly.
0: At the time I was uh, living in Bangor in North Wales, I had a job at the uh, University of Bangor. This would be between me getting my first degree and starting my PhD, so we're talking about hundreds of years ago. Uh,
2: Chris French is the head of the Anomalistic Psychology Research Unit at Goldsmiths University London, who researches the psychology behind the paranormal. And although he doesn't believe in the paranormal himself... He has had some ghostly
0: run-ins. Um, and my girlfriend at the time was a medical student at the University of Leicester, which was a quite a long way away on the train. And I remember waking up in the early hours and basically seeing her standing at the foot of the bed and kind of doing a double take, rubbing my eyes, and she'd gone. Now, even though by this time I think I was... Beginning to get fairly sceptical about the paranormal, I did still kind of phone her that evening and say, well, yeah, were you okay last night? Um, you know." And again, I think it's a kind of experience that people would often interpret as some kind of paranormal event.
2: And the figure at the end of the bed might be familiar to a lot of people, and it's it's quite scary. But now, all these years later, how would you explain that?
0: one of the most commonly reported paranormal experiences is something called a crisis apparition. And this is a situation where, in the way that I've just described, a, a figure may appear to someone, and they later on find that that person kind of passed away just at that instant, or was in great danger, or was ill, or whatever. And in the case of my girlfriend, no, she'd been absolutely fine. <laughs> Nothing wrong with her at all. So um, that, that was kind of one factor involved. I suspect another factor involved may have been that the night before I had been out drinking rather heavily, but we also know that it's precisely in that kind of state between sleep and wakefulness that people often hallucinate, and indeed, one of the areas of interest for me these days is something called sleep paralysis. A very common experience between sleep and wakefulness, people realising they can't move typically last for a few seconds, but they can have all kinds of scary hallucinations while they're in that state.
2: And I know that sleep paralysis for people who have it. it is really terrifying but in your experience of seeing this figure at the end of the bed you know seeing apparitions or shapes or figures feels tied into that human thing of seeing faces and patterns where actually there aren't any at all.
0: That's a phenomenon known as pareidolia. Periodolia refers to a situation where there's an ambiguous stimulus of some sort and yet people can perceive something very very clearly and distinctly in there. Faces will be one of the most common things that people report but I mean another common example would be kind of thinking you're seeing a figure uh, in your bedroom standing by the door and putting the light on and realising it's just your dressing gown hanging there you know and uh, the, the way the shadows look and so on and so forth. But because we are constantly scanning our environment for possible threats during everyday life, when we're interacting with the world around us, we've got two sources of information. On the one hand, we have the information coming in from the, from the senses, sometimes referred to as kind of bottom-up processing. Because that information is sometimes degraded or it's sometimes inherently ambiguous, we also make use of what we call top-down processing. And this is uh, the influence of our belief, our expectations, our knowledge about the world. And we've got kind of constant interaction between these two that generate a mental model of the world around us are now a place in it. And we may end up, as a result, seeing and hearing things that aren't actually really there.
2: It's interesting you talking about the fact that we're constantly scanning our environments for threats, because during the pandemic, like a lot of people, I was home more, and I started to notice things about my surroundings that I, I hadn't before. And Around 10 or 11pm every night, there's this huge bump and crack that comes from my ceiling, which is very off-putting when you're trying to get to sleep. If I was a believer, I could easily see myself giving that a ghostly explanation. But I wonder as well, Chris, during the pandemic, we were all faced with this constant unseen threat too, and it was a really stressful time for most people – And would that have made any difference to whether or not people were having paranormal experiences?
0: There is evidence, much of it from psychology, but that some kind of from historical sources, sociology and anthropology and and other kind of disciplines, that at times of stress, people do seem to report more of these kinds of experiences. Now, there's a whole host of possible reasons for that. But also, if people are stressed then their sleep is going to be disturbed. So if you're worrying, whether it be about Brexit or COVID or the situation in the Ukraine or losing your job or whatever else it may be, if you're not sleeping well and you've got that underlying predisposition, you are much more likely to have Uh, a sleep paralysis episode. On top of that, also, sleep deprivation will make you more susceptible to hallucinate during the day. If you're very, very tired and very, very stressed, again, you're more likely to have those kinds of weird experiences. There is some evidence, again, it's, it's kind of thin on the ground, but it's there that people are more likely to make use of astrological services or psychics and so on at times of great economic and political uncertainty. It's almost as though, you know, people are looking for some kind of sense of control um, and trying to understand what's going on around them. And sometimes the paranormal seems to provide uh, those kinds of explanations.
2: You spend your time telling people that have experienced something that they would call paranormal, which can feel really real and very convincing, that actually they maybe didn't see a ghost and were probably just stressed or asleep... What's that like? How do people react?
0: Well, I mean, typically I wouldn't be as blunt as that. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, typically I would kind of say, well, you know, I can't know what happened. I wasn't there. Uh, we don't have any kind of objective record. I mean, one of the areas that we are kind of most interested in, in the research that we do, is the fallibility of human memory. We know that eyewitness testimony can be notoriously unreliable for a whole host of reasons, and that this is a really important factor. Because typically, as you've said, we're not dealing with the event or the experience itself, we're dealing with someone's report of that experience. So even though they may be 100% sincere, How can we know that they're actually 100% accurate? There's very good reasons to believe that very often they won't be.
2: Okay, so in the case of seeing a ghost, or even a crime for that matter, if you can't test the experience, the thing that's actually happened, how do you research this? How do you go about testing the alternative explanations of what somebody's remembered and why they've remembered that, for example?
0: So, for example, we can run experiments where we can look at the power of suggestion. We can show empirically that you can make suggestions to people that something's happened that didn't happen, and that later on they will report that it did happen, for example. Which, again, is not to say that therefore you mistrust all eyewitness accounts, but that you should be cautious in accepting them at face value, because very often they won't be accurate.
2: It's interesting that researching this can tell us about how we seek out patterns or about the fallibility of our memory, but on a personal level, you know, being able to find scientific reasons behind paranormal experiences, are people ever glad to hear that what they've seen isn't actually a spirit or a ghost?
0: Oh absolutely. I mean I do I mean again going back to my interest in sleep paralysis, I do get sent lots and lots of first hand accounts from people and they can be absolutely terrifying, the things that people have genuinely experienced. And again, nobody's denying the experience and nobody's denying how terrifying it can be. What we're talking about is well, how do we interpret it? Do we think it really was a ghost or a demon? Or do we think that it was some kind of intense hallucinatory experience. But just to be able to tell people that, yes, it's terrifying, but it's not real. They can often be very, very reassured by that.
2: Well, I think I've decided that my bump in the night is the thermal contraction of my roof rather than a ghost. But (laughs) if anyone wants to put in their theories, they can email scienceweekly at theguardian.com But, Chris, thank you so much.
0: My pleasure. And sleep well. (laughs)
2: Thanks again to Chris French. Chris has a book coming out in the near future called The Science of Weird Shit, which I'm sure will be as fun as it sounds, so keep your eyes peeled for that. And head to the podcast webpage at theguardian.com, where we've put a link to a fantastic article by Amin Sena investigating our national obsession with ghosts. And that's it for today. The producer was me, Madeleine Finley, the sound design was by Rudy Zagablo, and the executive producers were Max Sanderson and Danielle Stevens. We'll be back on Thursday. See you then.
0: This is The Guardian.